In improvisational theatre, there's an adage that says make your partner look good. In leadership and business relationships, this means you can make personal interactions a win-win situation for both you and your colleagues. Welcome to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. Speaking with guests and listeners like you, Amy uses her wisdom and wit, leading you along the road to success. Now, here's your host, Amy Carroll. Welcome to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. As a communication coach, trainer, speaker, and author, I'm delighted to be your host, and I'm excited to bring you insights and ideas to help you solve your communication conundrums. This is my 45th episode of my show, Partner Up with Amy Carroll. If you want to find out more about me, what the show's about, feel free to listen to previous episodes on my website, carolcoaching.com, or go directly to the voiceamerica.com business channel. And you can always find it on any using whatever your favorite podcast app is. Now, if you missed last week's show, I had a chat with my social media gal, T, in an episode we called Triggers, Tips, and Travel. We offered you tips and tricks for packing your partner attitude when traveling this summer and beyond. Be sure to check that out. That's episode uh, played on July 2nd. Today, my guest is Rajkumari Nioji. Welcome, Rajkumari. Hello. Thank you for having me, Amy. You know, you and I got connected through Sarah Payton. We did. An amazing human being who I got to interview for this show. I, we both know her well, and Sarah was generous enough to also give me her time. So listeners, if you want to check out that interview, that was from March 12th. Though I want to take a few minutes to go through Rajkumari's bio, because it's going to set the tone for what we're going to be talking about. Now, Rajkumar is based in San Francisco. San Francisco. She's an epigenetic coach. And don't worry if you don't know what that is, she's going to tell us. She's also an executive consultant focused on the intersection of neurobiology, culture, and empathy in today's business world, possessing a rare blend of scientific prowess and emotion. Neoji, I'm still working on getting that pronunciation correct, believes Neo-G. that Oh, now I've not got a whole nother version. Okay, uh, we're going to do it again. Neogi. All right, good. You promise you'll correct me again if I get it wrong? Very kind of you. Okay, good. So Neogi believes that passionate self-reflection coupled with dedicated curiosity defines true leadership. I, I want to say that again because that's powerful. Passionate self-reflection. So maybe you'll tell us, Rajkumari, about how you help leaders to move to a place of passionate self-reflection. Coupling it with dedicated curiosity is what she uses to define true leadership. Now, specializing in the technology sector, Neoji has worked with high-powered worldwide organizations for more than two decades, training leaders at Google, Facebook, Adobe, Indeed, Slack, Salesforce, and others. The approach she uses to effective management combines the desire or rather discovery of deep-rooted transgenerational trauma with best practices for dismantling toxic work cultures. That's another thing that we're going to put this on the list of things you're going to define for us is now is that transgenerational trauma. Because I think some listeners might be familiar with it, starting to become uh, common to talk about it, though I think it's still quite new for a lot of people. 
weaving humor and vulnerability into psychology to tell powerful stories about basic human, the human need to belong. Neoji helps individual leaders and organizations identify critical interpersonal issues in the workplace, increasing the effectiveness, the emotional intelligence, and sustained performance among teams. In 2013, Neoji founded iRestart. It's a company that provides resources for leadership development and organizational epigenetics to address issues of team dysfunction and exclusion. And I know that we're going to get into more about that, what exclusion means, how significant it is, and how to fight against it. Through iRestart, Neoji created the Biology of Belonging Boot Camp Framework. And I, for one, my friends, I'm going to be attending the next one whenever it is. And it's a, that it employs six powerful methodologies to swiftly facilitate sustainable permanent change within organizations. Um, and I'm going to tell you more about how to get in touch with Rajkumari later in the show because you're going to want to sign up for her newsletter because that's going to give you access to this biology of belonging bootcamp framework. So there we have it. Now, Neoji previously held positions in training development in several tech companies, including Adobe and Facebook. She frequently presents on epigenetics and the biology of belonging at worldwide conferences like Culturati, Responsive Conference, and Culture Summit. She holds a bachelor's degree in film from San Jose State University, a master's degree in transformative, let me say it right, transformative, right, did I say right? Transformative leadership development from the California Institute of Integral Studies, and also the author of The Wit Factor, Shifting the Workplace Paradigm by Becoming Your Optimal Self. Oh my God, that was, that was a lot of work for a mouth with braces. <laughs> it's, Thank you. Thank you. I'm so happy now that we're going to turn it over to put the focus on you. (laughs) You know, Rajkumari, when I was reading one of your articles in Fast Company, I came across a quote, which I found, as the Brits would say, is spot on. Mm. And you may refer to this later, though. I want to put it up front for listeners. So listen up, folks. She says, every single time you are mean to an employee, interrupt them or dismiss them in some way, you are shutting down the part of their brain that is making you money. Now, if that's not going to get people to sit up and listen, I I don't know what is. (laughs) Well, that came directly from uh, a CEO who I hadn't yet met so we had actually slotted about an hour before our full day of executive training. Um, and right after the niceties, 10 seconds after the niceties were completed, that particular CEO asked me, what's the point of me being nice to my employees? <laughs> and after I kind of, you know, regrounded myself, right. took a breath, that is actually what I said to the CEO because they had just gotten 97 million in funding. And to your point, that absolutely did make the CEO sit up and listen. Yeah. Because after about, I would say five seconds, literally the CEO looked to the ground, pondered something, and then looked back up at me and said, so what do I do? 
Oh, wow. That's a fast learner. (laughs) (laughs) And so, you know, just to tease that story a little bit, tease it out a little bit, that's a really heartbreaking moment, right? To go from what's the point of me being nice to people to how do I be nice to people? That That's a very quick journey to your point. But to even have to ask that question. And, you know, I, I, Tony Shea, who was the former CEO of Zappos. Okay. There's a beautiful quote. On, on the Zappos uh, campus wall that I had a, the honor of, of walking through when I uh, did the keynote for Responsive Conference. Um, it's, and, and, and the quote says this, and I just love this quote so much. What's the ROI in hugging your mom? <laughs> right? Like, I mean, there, just because the, it may not have ROI, there is so much value in getting hugged by mom, to those who have mamas who are willing to hug them. And to really understand like what's underneath the hood of being engaged with a workforce, having that sense of safety, respect, collaboration, communication, that all kind of funnels into high performance and to funnels into incredible productivity and revenue. And something that I say all the time is, look, you can motivate teams through fear yep. and you can motivate teams through curiosity. Either way, you're going to make a ton of money. Like you'll get there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the question is, what are the values and principles that you're bringing forward uh, within your organization, within your team? And what's the impact that you want to make kind of on, on, you know, on the global village, at humanity at large, right? So it really is how you want to show up and how you want to um, engage with individuals in order to create a system that addresses and holds the well-being of individuals or not. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. And, you know, I think we're making, we, when I say we, I'm talking about the global business world. I think we're making baby steps, moving in that direction of that we're, that there's a responsibility we have that's far more than the bottom line. You know, the contribution, as you called it, the global village. Yeah, I think those baby steps are absolutely present. I can feel them. They're palpable. One of the things that you mentioned, Sarah Payton, one of the things I love about Sarah Payton is the fact that she's a neuroscience educator. And we do a lot of collaborative projects together. So as her expertise is the neuroscience educator, I'm the corporate translator. (laughs) And so I take that information and I kind of put it into PowerPoint presentations Mm. that allow teams to really understand, well, what is the value of me being nice to my employees? Mm -hmm. And how do we get there? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to shift to a, maybe a more superficial question though. I have to say, I was so curious after I found out that you got this BA, um, this degree in film, I, I have to know what, impact or contribution has it had 
if at all, which I'm sure it has, on the work that you do today? Wow. I don't think I've ever answered this question publicly, so here we go. Oh, goody. <laughs> I never wanted a degree in film. <laughs> <laughs> My dad, however, had other plans. Uh-huh. And it was hilarious. I'm going to just share this story because it's so ironic, in my opinion. I was a junior in high school, and uh, um, we had, like, career day or something, and I was like, you know... And so we spent the whole day in the library doing research. I don't remember what it was, but I came out of that day so excited and clear that I really wanted to be a cardiologist. Like that for me was like, that's it. I want to be a cardiologist. I've always wanted to be a cardiologist. I did some research that day and I nailed it. And I I remember walking home so smug. I was like, this is going to be so easy. I have an Indian father. (laughs) The whole thing about either you can be a doctor, a lawyer, an engineer. I have got this in the bag. So I go home and I'm like, hey, Papa, I've decided I want to be a cardiologist. And he looks at me. He's like, no, you're not. And like all the error messages that go up in the cartoon moments went up. And I was like, wait, what do you mean? And he's like, you're going to get a degree in film. And I was like, wait, what? I don't want a degree in film. And the hilarity of hilarity is like, you know, the 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 Indian you know kid that comes home and says, I want to be an artist or a musician, right? right. Like, no, you're gonna be a doctor, lawyer, or an engineer. That happened in reverse. That's insane. That was so in- the fight that ensued oh, yeah. for weeks was unbelievable. And so <laughs> So anyway, here we are, have a degree in film, as you can see. <laughs> and I resented almost every moment of it, to be quite <laughs> No, I really didn't. Well, I, yeah, I shouldn't laugh because exactly. you're right, because it's it, it represents that, you know, that the adult forcing something on a child that is not what, that's not what they're meant to do. But again, the irony of ironies is that when I applied for my very first Silicon Valley job, Mm-hmm. And I was told this later, out of 100 applicants, all with CS degrees, right? Computer oh, science. Oh, no. I was the only one that was chosen because of my film degree. Unbelievable. And the reason why was because at that time, the technology that they were working on was MPEG-2 compression. Uh-huh. So I had such an eye for films and eye for seeing detail because right. that's what I spent the last how many years freaking doing. Um, they're like, yeah, we don't want anybody. We want you to come see our pixelated issues with our video. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and that started my journey in the tech world. And I just fell in love with uh, companies, corporations, technology. And then, of course, um, very quickly understanding team dynamics and more importantly, team dysfunction. <laughs> yeah. I brought my own with me. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, that's uh, isn't that ironic? Talk about a gift horse. I think that's the right analogy. Jeez, yeah. Wow, I've never shared that story. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, okay, here's where the I, I need you to educate me a bit. Um, you we talked about epigenetics. Perhaps define that for myself and the listeners. What it is? How does it relate to workplace dynamics? Maybe throw in some examples. So let's take a step back again and and, and talk a little bit about my childhood. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) 
because it's related. <laughs> it, me too. I get it. Totally. So, so you know, I, w- I would definitely say I had an incredibly challenging uh, childhood. Um, and w- when I left and, and became an adult and went off into the world and spent some years in, in the corporate world, I, I was a little flummoxed about why relationship dynamics with me and others were very challenging. <laughs> and, you know, for a long time, um, as is with many folks, there's kind of like, oh, it's their issue. And things became really challenging for me. And I decided to actually get some support and really look at how, why this was so incredibly challenging. And it turned out that that was the beginning of my own journey of self-reflection and really unraveling my own, let's just use the word trauma because that's what it is. Sure. Uh, and, 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 and really, you know, um, I love Gabor Mate, who's the author of many, many books, especially Scattered, who defines trauma as the loss of one's self, right? The loss of connection to oneself. Mm-hmm. Is and he we the, do that. Sorry, go ahead. Is he the one that wrote When the Body Says No? That's Bessel van der Kolk. And when, when the body, oh, wait, when the body says no, yes. Yes, that is him. Oh, my gosh. Yes, Body Keeps Score is Bessel van der Kolk. Body Says No is Gabor. Yes. That's awesome. <laughs> What an amazing book. It speaks so directly for, uh, to the work that I do, um, focusing on the predator-prey partner and how predator and prey will have physical, re- physical illnesses that are directly related to personality style and partner hmm, doesn't seem to have any related illnesses. 100%. So that's for a different episode. We'll continue yes, okay. that next time. Because <laughs> I've definitely, you know, had an opportunity to witness that with myself and to what you're saying. Mm. Uh, and as I started kind of going on this journey of self-reflection and I, I found myself at NLP Marin, I spent about five years. I did their three-year intensive class. Uh, and then I did uh, a, a additional, um, more advanced um, master level courses in, quant- in the quantum physics understanding and how that relates to behaviors. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I kind of then took all of that information and as I went off and built iRestart and started doing a lot of research around the neuroscience, the neurobiology, I stumbled across something called epigenetics. And I was so flummoxed again, because I was like, wait, what is this? And it was actually Rachel Yehuda's work uh, in 2016, where she talks about how the children of Holocaust survivors exhibit similar or near similar uh, symptoms of PTSD as those who actually did survive the concentration. Amazing. And when I read that, I think my mouth dropped for and stayed there for about an hour. And I think I had to actually get up and go for a walk and process that. Because then I started thinking, of course, immediately of my own family. And the transgenerational patterning that showed up in all of, with me, with my dad, with my grandfather, with my great-grandfather. And I tell this story with such pride and heartbreak at the same mm-hmm. time, because it, one, kind of, you know, holds evidence to this epigenetic concept, but it also really kind of 
brings that heartache into play because it's like, wait, these patterns, they're so outdated. Why do we continue to do this? Why are our behaviors continue unbeknownst to us, right? right? Continuing to show up. And so that that comment that you that you made when you read passionate self-reflection, it's to really look at what are those transgenerational patterns that we hold in our cellular biology? Yeah. That we don't even know. That's, that's causing us to yell at someone at work or avoid someone else at work or have conflict with someone or et cetera, et cetera. I mean, a great example of this is it was coaching an executive team in LA many moons ago. And one of the biggest complaints before I started that was shared with me and that I found out during my discovery tour of talking to each of the executives <laughs> that the CEO and the head of sales really had a challenging relationship. And in fact, the head of sales was deemed as a bully. Um, one of the people on the team called him someone I feared the most. Um, and it was just this ongoing battle with him and others, and especially the CEO. Okay. And so when I sat down to do this epigenetic coaching, the very first thing I do is I kind of draw literally a map on you know, a mechanical pencil and a piece of paper. And I draw this map. And this map is about looking at where transgenerationally there was an experience of being excluded and a, a, a disconnection in belonging. So we'll talk a little bit more about that in, in just a moment, but I want to finish this, this story. And so I'm drawing out this map and I'm asking questions to everyone about their parents and their grandparents, et cetera, and just in a 45 minute session. Turns out the CEO is in fact a survivor of the Holocaust. And the head of sales actually had a grandfather in the Third Reich. Wow. And so it might seem unrelated or disconnected, but it made perfect sense to me mm-hmm. that why they weren't getting along, why he had this bullying nature, why she had to hold her ground, right? What, whatever it might have been. Um, and so we started to work with that in the coaching. And Within about, I would say, four or five weeks, my cell phone started blowing up with texts from the rest of the team saying, what the heck are you doing to him? He's starting to be collaborative. (laughs) He's actually communicating. I'm starting to feel safe with him. What are you doing? So what what that says is regardless of the patternings that we bring with us to a conversation or the same pattern, but the same conversation over decades, (laughs) Mm -hmm. there is absolutely an opportunity to shift that in our brains and in our biology. And that's the work that I do. Mm. As I was listening to your story, what was coming up for me was I've had for a long time, I've, you know, I, I've had anger that I've always had since childhood. And 
for many years in my reflection, I'm like, I don't understand where on earth this anger comes from. I had a great childhood, mildly dysfunctional, nothing unusual, you know, gave great family stories. And, and, and so, and I kept thinking, did I suppress something? And I really felt like that was not the case, except there was just this anger unrelated. And now as I listen to you, I think, yeah. And when I look back at the, the trauma and the dysfunction on my mother's side and on my father's side and, you know, the Irish, um, roots of you know the famine and and the alcoholism and it all makes sense yep Uh, absolutely and that ties directly to our sense of belonging and we take that sense of belonging diminished incapacitated whatever it is and we show up in the workplace and we wonder why things are the way they are Yeah. And the other thing that makes so much sense is I've always heard we replicate our family dynamics in the work environment. And this is making sense as to why that's, it is what it is. It is. And, you know, we, I mean, we can think of the workplace as our secondary family because um, not that they actually are, but it is where we spend so much time. And more importantly, where we're constantly in relationship with each other. Mm-hmm. So all the attachment issues, all of the ways in which we survived or um, delighted or were warmly welcomed in our families, we bring all of that information, all of that behavior into trying to relate with others and wonder why sometimes it doesn't work. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to go for a break in a minute. And I would like for listeners, if you want to connect with Rajkumari, go directly to her website. I'm going to spell it for you. It's Rajkumari Nyoji, and that's R-A-J-K-U-M-A-R-I-N-E-O-G-Y.com. And when you're there, definitely sign up for her newsletter to get access to the Biology of Belonging Bootcamp. When we come back, we're going to be hearing more from Raj Kumari and taking an even deeper dive into this fascinating topic. Stay tuned. You're listening to Partner Up with Amy Carroll on the Voice America Business Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Do you have colleagues, family members or neighbours that just drive you crazy sometimes? Do you occasionally find yourself feeling disrespected, mistreated or annoyed by others? As a no-nonsense communication coach, trainer, speaker and author, Amy Carroll may have a solution for you. For over 35 years, Amy has studied status and power dynamics, what sabotages relationships, results and how to get desired outcomes in business and personal interactions. Make Your Partner Look Good is a philosophy from improvisational theatre, as well as Amy's favourite mantra. For the last 20 years, she has been using her superhero powers to inspire individuals and multinationals around the globe to transform their communication and tap into their own partner powers. 
With concrete behavior changes in voice, body language, words, and attitude, Amy shows clients what to keep and what to change to get more of what you want more often with less hassle. Visit carolcoaching.com today. That's C-A-R-R-O-L-L coaching.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for the keywords voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for voice America. You are listening to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. We want participation from you. Feel free to send an email to amy at carolcoaching.com. Now, back to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. Here again is Amy. Welcome back to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. My guest today is Rajkumari Nioji, and we've been discussing how epigenetics how it relates to what it is and how it works to, let me say that again, how it, (laughs) what is epigenetics and how it relates to workplace dynamics. And what I want to do now, Rajkumari, is shift our conversation into best practices for dismantling toxic work cultures. (laughs) Yeah, I know. And go. (laughs) Well, you know, I think in order to answer that question, um, I I run this series called Understanding Humans at Work. And it's a series for a reason because there's a lot of content. It's, you know, it's two hours per module. And we kind of ease into understanding humans at work. (laughs) And, and it's really about creating cultures of psychological safety in order to create cultures of belonging. That, that's what it's all about, right? Uh, create cultures two- of psychological safety to create cultures of belonging. Yes, okay. exactly. So foundational, the foundational experience is belonging and psychological safety is really the act of engaging with individuals to create that foundational safety of belonging, whether it's trust or respect, or whatever that is. Um, and, and so to really understand um, how we do that, I, I always take them through these like bite size um, uh, moments uh, of neuroscience, t- taking Sarah Payton's information and kind of um, making into these little, you know, these bite size moments. And, and I think it's important to understand that that we have two hemispheres and that we have a left hemisphere and a right hemisphere. And and they really are because they're designed so differently in our brains. They actually do completely different things. Okay. One isn't better than the other because we need both. Um, However, I think globally we have given a lot more weight to the left hemisphere. Sure. Because the left hemisphere is where we do data the left hemisphere is where we are measuring and comparing and evaluating. And it's where we are our functional selves. Mm-hmm. I like to say that the, the human doing aspects of yeah. who we are. Yeah. 
But if we don't incorporate the human being aspects of who we are, that right hemisphere, then now we're showing up in that place of fear. Now we're showing up in that place of transactionality, right? We're just trying to get stuff done. Yeah. We're literally leaving bodies in the wake. I had a client that I coached at Airbnb and um, one day, you know, Brian Chesky, who's the CEO of Airbnb came out and he's like, you know, I have all these things and we need to get them done immediately and da 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 and, and the team was like, I don't know, that's a long list and that's a very short amount of time. I don't know if we can get it done. Um, and and my, my, my client, when I was coaching, was so focused and determined to get that done mm-hmm. that he did. He got everything done that he needed to get done. And he was promptly fired. And the reason is because he left bodies in the wake. He did oh, not right. bring in that relationality piece. He just got things done. And when we lose that aspect of relationality, right. what ends up happening is we don't have a sense of trust. We don't have a sense of safety that that person probably was causing stress for other people right wasn't taking time to listen right so i wanted to just start with that because it's so important that we truly understand that we are becoming masterful in bringing both our hemispheres equally forward in every conversation okay and to be honest some people need some work on bringing forward their relationality. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and so in, in, in looking at the work of Yak Punksep, he has a couple of TED Talks. Um, he, he, Say the name again. Yak Punksep. Okay. And he his body of work is called Affective Neuroscience. So if you just search for that, Yak's work will pop up. Yeah, that's easier for me to spell. <laughs> <laughs> and... and and so his work really focused on the circuitries of the brain. And what we quickly find is that the left hemisphere has our motivational circuit, our get stuff done circuit. Right. All the other circuits, all of the emotional circuits, the, the play circuit, the care circuit, the fear circuit, the rage circuit. All of those other, the panic grief circuit, they all are in the right hemisphere. Wow. So if we are not engaging our right hemisphere in every conversation, we are literally leaving dollars on the table because we cannot see and sense how someone is showing up, what they're experiencing, what their frustrations are, what their concerns are, what they're worried about. And we can't connect at that level to really surface the greatest fear in order to get the product, in order to ship the deadline, ship the product, get the deadline, right? (laughs) (laughs) All those things that we should fit. All the above. All the above, right. And so that is why when we are able to understand what motivates us, how we get stuff done, but we couple it with this relationality piece, that allows us now to really create psychological safety. Mm, 
Mm. Okay. So what is something people can do immediately to access this care circuit? Honestly, it is the most surprising thing. And it costs nothing. Okay, that's good. I'm listening. And it is taking a breath. Really? What happens in the moment? I'm just going to do that right now, just in case. (laughs) (laughs) That's all I'm going to breath right now. Have you ever been in a meeting where it's like a one hour, two hour brainstorming meeting and you're like, yeah, and then we can do this and we could do that and we can add this and we can do that. And it's just going on and on and you're you're still in the flow. And all of a sudden the meeting ends, you're like, I have to run to the bathroom and you run to the bathroom or you're like, notice you're starving all of a sudden. Yeah. That shift is a literal move from the left to the right because the right hemisphere holds our connection and relationship to our body. Uh-huh. So when you breathe, uh-huh. that's the movement back to the right. And then that you're breath accessing. exactly gives you a pause, literally and figuratively, to then do that reflection and actually get curious, ask a question, notice what's happening in the room, right? Getting getting out of your head and into your body. Yeah. <laughs> so Breathing is absolutely essential, and it's everywhere in my content. And it is one of the most common things people say in the series. Wow, just even the breathing and being told to breathe all the time in these series is really helping me to reflect and reconnect to myself. And that's the whole point, right? We're teaching ourselves a new language of connection and relationality through breath. So mm-hmm. that's thing. Thing two is... How are you engaging with others? Are you accessing empathy? Empathy is the quickest way to create connection authentically. If there is a lack of empathy, it's because the care circuit, your care circuit, isn't properly online. In fact, if you're focused the whole time on fixing the problem or fixing the person or giving them solutions or telling them what's wrong, all of that is not in relationship with that person. All of that is problem solving and transactionality. So is this why that stereotype of the wife complains about her day and the husband goes to fix in solution mode and she gets frustrated because maybe what she's really wanting is connection. Did I? 100%. It's never about the, the male or the female differences, it is simply about the hemispheres. Right. And when we have not exercised the the right hemisphere and made it okay to be empathic with others, Mm -hmm. right, and made it okay to slow down and just be in that pain, here's a great example for those of you who've seen, and if you haven't, please do, the movie uh, Inside Out. Have you seen that, Amy? Yes. So there's a moment when one of the characters loses something that's really important to him. It's, you know, uh, I think it's a, uh, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm, I'm blanking, like a, a sleigh or a, a, a trolley or something. And, um, and the character who's really hyper and joyful is trying to get the one who has the loss to laugh. 
you know, and make jokes and really kind of like, come on, we'll, we'll, we'll solve this. It'll be fine. It'll be great. Just forget about it. Let's go. And the one who lost that trolley is really in a sense of mourning. Mm-hmm. But the third character comes into play. And all that third character does is simply acknowledge that loss. And in that moment, that very simple acknowledgement instantaneously shifts that grief yep. back into engagement. And then that character who lost the sled or whatever, the trolley, is like, great, let's go do what we need to go get done. And the character who was all about joy and distraction and fixing has a moment, an epiphany, and, and goes, oh, wait a second. When we acknowledge loss, then we get to move through it? Oh, wow, that's the value of sadness? And that, was that, that, that whole scene is so powerful. And so if, if for, your, to your example, if the husband just listened to yeah. the wife complaining and simply said, wow, that sounds really challenging or that must have been really frustrating or sounds like you had a tough moment there, it releases it. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, I, 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 that's where what we're studying nonviolent communication and when I'm learning more about feelings and needs and how sometimes the issue doesn't have to change at all. I just acknowledging what I'm feeling, what I'm needing. It's, you know, if someone else is not available to do it for me, although my friend, I call her empathy, Emma, because she's so good at it. (laughs) When she's not available and I do it myself, you know, I just feel that peace. And the issue or the problem has not changed or been resolved. And so that is why, transparency in organizations is critical and especially acknowledging failures where things went wrong. Mm-hmm. You don't have to fix where things went wrong, but acknowledging where things went wrong is being accountable. It's being transparent. It's being vulnerable. And it is an immediate connection org wide um, for those who are feeling distrustful, disconnected, unsure, suspicious, whatever. And so doing that masterfully, I want to be very clear, doing that masterfully and with coaching um, is really essential in bringing that level of trust and psychological safety mm-hmm. back online for the organization, mm-hmm. the teams. So when you're working with leaders and with teams, what kind of exercises or skills or practices are you having them do along and that's with the breathing? Why- yeah, definitely the breathing and definitely um, having them go through the Understanding Humans at Work series, because what we do is we obviously share content, but then we have these very uh, potent questions um, in these breakout rooms where they get to go and talk about what's actually not working. What could we do things differently? How do we bring this more currently up to date? What's still a point of frustration? Mm. Um, what needs addressing? And these conversations, the, the number one thing I hear coming out of those conversations was, oh, I had no idea that so-and-so in the other department had the exact same issue. Yeah. And the moment that that happens, the amygdala actually starts to calm down. The amygdala is the part of our brain that holds a lot of the emotion. 
And as we come down, we have a sense of community. We have a sense of support. Yeah. We know that now there's someone else who's going through that and we feel less alone. And to your point, right, when we have a sense of loneliness, our whole stress level increases, our body's immune response is activated. So when we have these conversations yeah. that allow us to express what our point of frustration is, what's yep. missing, yep. what's not currently working, and just share that. You yep. don't have to fix it or solve yep. it. Just share it. And then we come out and we tell the group, the larger group debrief, hey, I just was in my group and I shared that, you know, we don't have cherry Coke in the kitchen <laughs> and that's an issue for me <laughs> for whatever reason. Just to be able to share that. Yeah. Now there's now a broader transparency around across the organization. Yeah. There are other people having their voice heard. And that is so essential. Yeah. So as you were describing this, it made me think of something that I just went through um, the last few days. About a month ago, I coached a group, a small group of people from my theater troupe on what I do professionally on body language, voice, and words. And the first person that went, I coached really hard and he didn't really know what to expect. And I think it really destabilized him. Um, except I didn't know this because he kept it to himself. And then we had a couple more rehearsals and I, in a rehearsal, I said, Hey, by the way, um, and this was not related to the coaching I had done. It was just the whole group. If you got, if I give you anyone feedback that doesn't work for them, let me know. So he took that as an invitation to come and approach me and say, well, by the way, you know, when you were doing a different type of coaching that really bothered me and I was really angry and I didn't understand it. And I forced myself to really listen and try not to justify or explain or defend and give them empathy. Say, wow, I, I can imagine. And yeah, you were the first one to go. And of course, you didn't have a role model. I could really see why that was destabilizing. Okay, we left that conversation. A week later, I saw him again. He came up to me, said, oh, Amy, that did me the world of good to express that to you. Yep. And I could feel the bond between us got stronger. So the psychological safety was reestablished and maybe even strengthened because I invited, a, just made a generic invitation for people to let me know if something didn't work for them. And he took, had the courage to speak his truth. And then I had the ability to listen without getting defensive. Beautiful. And yeah. that's key. That's so key and so important. Nicely done. Thanks. How do, we, how do we create, you know, those places? How do we create, um, one of my clients has something called Brave Spaces and Healing Hours, right, um, for their communities, their ERGs. Uh, another client does listening tours. Um, another client actually... Say more about that listening tours. What are those? Yeah, so listening tours are where she... Um, goes around and actually every quarter and goes around and asks what's going on. She does a one-on-one -on -one with all of the senior leaders, uh, org-wide, it's a smaller company, obviously, uh, where she can really kind of take the temperature and the pulse of what's going on. And there's a private moment to, to share some grief um, or some strife. And she takes that to heart. And then, you know, that just listening, 
they feel cared for. They feel that they look forward to these, these one hour calls once a quarter because they get to just share what's in their hearts and minds. And that's so essential. How do you create uh, a space for people to share what's in their hearts and minds from a place of self-reflection and what, you know, what, what, what are the pain points that is really in their bodies that they are carrying in every meeting mm-hmm. just to get that out? Mm-hmm. I, I want to give you the time that we have remaining um, just f- uh, freedom to share whatever else you want as far as the impact maybe on uh, of trauma, or grief um, for uh, people of color, anything that is you're inspired to share. I really feel like I just want to keep listening. It's <laughs> so sweet. I think what's so essential is for those who are witnessing patterns of behavior in themselves and would love to shift that. Uh, the invitation is to kind of find the thread of the root of that experience to the best you can. Um, and, and to allow, this is what's key about, about trauma. It, it's a really interesting concept. Um, if I experience something incredibly difficult, but I experience it alone, potentiality of that becoming trauma and eventually PTSD is present. Okay. If I experience something incredibly difficult, but I'm surrounded by community and I get to process that, that remains a difficult experience and doesn't actually move into trauma. Mm-hmm. And so when we carry things alone in our bodies, that buildup can be quite detrimental to our physical and mental well-being. And so I was just working actually with a client a few weeks ago um, who had a lot of imposter syndrome and wanted to make sure that she was, quote unquote, doing it right constantly. And one of the things I noticed in our sessions was that she kept bringing up um, this past work experience that was horrible. And she kept comparing it to where she is now, which is not at all. It's the antithesis of that. And so... I kind of paused her in a session and I asked her if she'd be willing to do a visualization with me, which is one of the main components of my coaching framework. And she agreed. And what we did is we invited that version of her in the workplace that in fact was harassed and, um, you know, excluded and treated less kindly by her boss. And we just had her visualize that version of her who was in that, that she wasn't there anymore. We had her look at the current version of her standing in this workplace with this new boss and this new experience. And she said it was a life-changing experience. Mm. So, The reason why I share this is because when we've had difficult experiences that have led us to have the experience of trauma, there is such an element of loneliness in that trauma. Yeah. And to go back to the story about 
unacknowledged grief. When we acknowledge that experience, now that gets to move and shift. Right? And that's why bringing these spaces and these forums to the company at large, where they get to express themselves, is so critical because that now gives an opportunity to acknowledge what was difficult, release that, be seen in that acknowledgement, and now how do we move forward together? Mm-hmm. That That is so essential. Yeah. Oh, Rajkumari, this has been a really rich and encouraging conversation for me to have with you. And we're going to start to wrap up. So my last question for you is what is one call for action that you have for listeners? Oh my gosh. I know it's not fair. (laughs) I think I would invite people to maybe pick up uh, two different books. Okay. For the functional aspect of selves, or that doing self, grab Patrick Lencioni's book called The Advantage. It's such a great book in ensuring that we are communing with, communicating with clarity to teams okay. so that we uh, be aligned. The second is to pick up Sarah Payton's book, Your Resonant yes. Self, and to really do some self, self-reflection and deep dive into your own particular journey and how to uncover all those patterns that may be hindering your progress. Yeah, give this title again because I think I talked while you said it. Oh, Your Resonant Self. There we go. Good. And I would add to that uh, my call for action, uh, Wesley said earlier listeners, go on to Rajkumari's website and sign up for her newsletter to get access to her Biology of Belonging boot camp. And that is no cost. So I'm telling you, you got to do this. And I'll look forward to seeing you there. Her website, again, is R-A-J-K-U-M-A-R-I-N-E-O-G-Y. And also, Rajkumari, in in just 10 seconds, can you tell us how can people find your articles on Fast Company? Because those are some really rich articles. Yeah, just Google my name in Fast Company. Oh, my God. So easy. Three different articles that will pop up. Yeah, they're great articles. Okay, I got 30 seconds. So, I'm... Reach out to me, listeners, if you want to share your challenges and clashes, and I will talk about them on future shows. You can reach me at amy at carolcoaching.com. And you can also, if you want to, be sure to switch on, tune in, listen up, and be inspired next week. I'm going to be interviewing Terry Real. He's a nationally recognized family therapist, author, and teacher. Terry is particularly known for his groundbreaking work on men and male psychology, as well as his work on gender and couples. Feel free to reach out to me on social media. You can do that on Amy Carroll Coaching, two R's, two L's. And if you're game for more, I'm going to be hopping over to Facebook Live, five minutes past the hour, for a short chat on today's call. Thank you, Raj Kumari. It's been a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for having me, Amy. And thank you, listeners. You have been listening to Partner Up with Amy Carroll on the Voice America Business Channel. Happy partnering, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. Join Amy for another edition next Friday at 7 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Central European Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until we speak again, 
Make it a great week. And remember, make your partner look good.